Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, July 2nd, and this is your FT News Briefing. We have a deal. The world's leading economies have agreed to a global minimum corporate tax rate. Robinhood files the paperwork to go public, and we'll take a look at how some top economists line up with the Federal Reserve's interest rate rise predictions. Plus, Hong Kong's pro-democracy paper Apple Daily closed a week ago. Now the region's media landscape is going through an uncertain time. We have 800 journalists fewer in the city to hold public figures into account. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. One hundred and thirty countries reached a deal yesterday that will ensure multinational companies pay their fair share. A global minimum tax rate of 15 percent was hammered out during negotiations at the OECD in Paris. It ensures that some of the world's biggest companies, including tech giants, will pay at least $100 billion a year more in taxes. And more of this money will go to the countries where the companies do most of their business. But nine countries refused to sign up for the 15 percent minimum tax rate. They include Ireland, Estonia, and Hungary. Meanwhile, all G20 nations back the plan. The OECD said the rules should be put in place next year and will be implemented in 2023. Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell has gone out of his way recently to calm financial market fears about inflation. He's insisting the Fed will not raise interest rates at the first sign the U.S. economy is heating up. But a poll by the FT and the University of Chicago shows that economists believe that there will be at least two U.S. interest rate rises by the end of 2023. Our markets editor, Katie Martin, joins me to discuss the poll and what it tells us about the dilemma facing the Fed on interest rates. Hey, Katie. Hey, how are you doing? Good. So I I think the thing about this poll is that it's not particularly different than what the Fed has actually been saying, right? Yeah. And this shows how opinion has has shifted, really. I mean, there there was a lot of people out there in the markets punting around in, in the bond markets, for example, with bets that inflation would be allowed by the Fed to kick a lot higher than it would normally allow it. And what we saw in June with the Fed meeting was that they really took, you know, a subtle but important step towards suggesting that, look, we're not just going to let inflation completely get out of hand. And it's kind of a message from the Fed, really, that, and, and it's good news, that, that the economy in the US is recovering faster than they previously thought. And that might mean that rates have to rise somewhat earlier. And that really shook up certain parts of the bond market in June and really helped to create this environment that we have in global markets now where volatility has just really collapsed. Yeah. And on that, Katie, what does all this mean for markets? We're now at this point where investors are just sitting and waiting to see what happens with inflation. Does it prove to be as transitory as as the Fed thinks it's going to be? Or will it become something much more serious? The shift from the Fed has definitely encouraged markets into thinking that it's going to be under control. And so what we're seeing in things like the stock market now is it barely moving until we see the data later on in the year that tells us for sure whether market whether inflation is going to sort of pass through the system. There's just nothing that the markets can really do. It's going to be really difficult for markets to do anything too dramatic. Kitty Martin is our markets editor, and the FTIGM survey will be conducted regularly throughout the year. We'll keep you updated on the results. Thank you, Katie. You're welcome. 
The retail trading platform Robinhood just laid out its own plans to join the stock market. Sources told the FT the group will target a total valuation of $40 billion or more in its initial public offering, and a regulatory filing submitted on Thursday shows that Robinhood's had extraordinary growth over the past two years. In 2021 alone, the trading platform more than doubled its customer base to 31 million registered users. Robinhood's widely considered a driving force behind the surge of investors that are buying so-called meme stocks, including GameStop and AMC. In the filing, Robinhood said its revenues more than tripled to $959 million in 2020 from the year before. But it came a day after the U.S. Financial Industry Regulatory Authority hit Robinhood with a $70 million fine for what it calls widespread and significant harm to customers. It's the largest fine FINRA has ever issued. Next edition, the Hong Kong media group owned by the jailed tycoon Jimmy Lai officially shut down yesterday. It's the parent company of the pro-democracy newspaper Apple Daily. Apple Daily was forced to close last week after the territory's officials froze its assets and arrested senior journalists. It was under a sweeping national security law Beijing passed and imposed on Hong Kong last year. And people are still mourning the loss of Apple Daily. To a lot of them, they're losing more than just a paper. Its closure also raised many questions about the region's ability to operate a free press. The FT's Hong Kong correspondent, Nicole Liu, who grew up knowing the paper, joins me now to fill in what it means to Hong Kongers. Nicole, what were some of your earliest memories that you had with Apple Daily? When I was really young, my dad often gave me $5 and sent me to the newspaper stand to get a copy for him. But um, to be honest, I was always banned from reading it because my parents think it like, contains too much sensational content, which is inappropriate for any kind of children. But then when I grew older, like I realized behind all those like sensational writings are like serious investigative reportings. So like some people might find it pretty annoying. Apple Daily actually use, I would say, the same amount of effort to like chase news and hold public figures into account. So I guess uh, it's sometimes like a sort of acknowledgement towards your reporting skills, like if you're being hired by Apple Daily. Nicole, you wrote about how hundreds of people lined up on its last day to buy the final edition of Apple Daily. Maybe maybe you can tell us a little bit about the paper's history. Apple Daily was one of the first newspaper in Hong Kong that was printed in color. And I guess it's like an awkward mix of serious reporting, critical columns, but also they have included a lot of celebrity gossips and even like brothel reviews. It is like popular in general, but because of its like sensational writings, is usually less trusted by the general public and sometimes being considered as more like a tabloid. However, um, the support towards the paper actually rocketed during the 2019 protests as experts saying that supporting Apple Daily almost equals to like supporting the pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong. Yeah, now why is that? Why, what did the paper do? I guess uh, is just because they have been writing a lot about the protests. During most protests, they have like a massive page. You can see it as posters that you can actually uh, wave it or carry it during a protest. You can see like hundreds or even thousands 
copy of an Apple Daily front page during some of the massive protests you see in 2019. How have other local outlets responded to its closure, Nicole? Some of the rival newspapers were like unsympathetic to Apple Daily. Like for example, Mingpao, a Chinese language newspaper, accused Apple Daily in its editorial, like calling Apple Daily is more like a political mobilization, which has crossed the line, and it's like not what a traditional news organization would do. At the same time, I think a lot. Of online media or other like commentators, they would say like even though Apple Daily is kind of different from other newspaper, or they have a lot of flaws, it doesn't mean that they are violating the national security law, and their existence actually represents the freedom of the press in Hong Kong. And what what does this mean, possibly for the future media landscape of Hong Kong? Many journalists actually believe that authorities could extend their crackdown beyond Apple Daily, as other online media actually wrote similar articles or commentaries. Especially online media organization, they have actually toned down their language or like even take down some of their articles. And also, like a lot of longtime columnists said that they will like stop writing for newspapers or even writing online,、uh, citing a very uncertain political environment. We can't really tell what's going to happen next, but I guess the incident for certain is a massive blow to the city's previous freewheeling press environment. Now we should note that it's not. Only the local ones. Some international outlets with a regional headquarter in Hong Kong have already left town. The New York Times moved its Asia office to Seoul last June, and the Washington Post followed suit in the winter. Nicole Liu is the FT's Hong Kong correspondent. You can read more on all of these stories at ft.com. This has been your daily FT news briefing. We just want to give you a heads up that Monday's show will drop into your podcast feed a little later than it normally does. But we've got something special for you, so thank you for your patience. The FT news briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. Our intern is Zoe Han. We had help this week from Gavin Coleman, Michael Bruning, Amelia Mahasik, and Persis Love. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. 
Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.